0: Well, let me ask you a question. In your lifetime, have you ever worked for a difficult or mean boss or supervisor? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's very common, isn't it? No doubt. Well, there's all kinds of ways uh, that people, uh, Well, first of all, the bosses try to make our lives difficult. They might not answer our emails. They might not communicate with us on the passive side, break their promises, or they go more aggressive and verbally put you down in front of other people and just make your life miserable. So how are we going to respond? Well, researchers at the Florida State University did a study about this, and they looked at how people tried to get revenge against their bosses in very passive ways. Uh, Response to abusive bosses. 30% slowed down production or purposely made errors. Now that's contrasted to the people who said they had no problem with their boss. They only did that 4% of the time. 29% took sick days off when they were not ill, compared to 6. 27% purposely avoided their boss, uh, compared to 4. Twenty-five percent took longer breaks compared with the seven percent of who were not abused. There's a lot of ways that we can get revenge. There's a lot of ways that we can express our anger toward being mistreated. And today, as we continue in our study of First Peter, we're going to look at First Peter 2, 18 through 23, to find out the answer. How do you deal with a boss? Who's giving you a hard time? Or really, how do you deal with anybody who's treating you unfairly? Now, we've got to start out with 1 Peter two thirteen and 14, because this gives us a whole context of Peter's thoughts here. He starts out by saying, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors or sent by him to punish those who do evil, and to praise those who do good. So we're talking about the emperor. At that time, it was Nero. If you know anything about Nero, uh, what he is known for in history is persecuting Christians. Uh, He would have a coliseum full of people, and he'd drag some Christians out, and he'd kill them in different creative ways, you know, be mauled by animals or burned or just... Very, very, very disturbing. And then he would take their corpses and take gasoline and pour it over their bodies, and they would be used as lights uh, for the stadium. Yeah, so Paul is saying be subject to Nero. Uh, might have had a problem with that, but that's what God says, be subject to the government, no matter what they might be doing. We also read here uh, that the governors were those who enforced the laws. The judges, the police, those type of people. And we are called uh, to do this. And what you need to realize is that you always got to remember the audience. When you're studying a book of the Bible, you have to remember the audience. Who is this written to? Now, this is written to people scattered, scattered all over Asia. And, uh, so the, maybe... He wrote a copy, and then, or he wrote the book, and then uh, someone else wrote a copy of that, and wrote a copy of that, and it just kind of traveled uh, throughout the areas. And so these are scattered Christians who are suffering. The majority of them, which are slaves, and they're under persecution, and life isn't really fun right now uh, for them. So he is encouraging them. He's saying, "Hey, listen, this is not your world." You're not an earthly citizen. You are a kingdom citizen. And if you're in a situation where you're really struggling and where things are not going well, it's much easier to draw closer to God, isn't it? And when you're in this type of situation, well, yeah. I mean, you're really dependent on God. Well, we need to remember that that was the... Group that he was writing to and what kind of type of situation they were in. First Peter two eighteen, servants be subject to your masters with all respect. So servants that meant household slaves be subject uh, to uh, rank under authority at your masters and that type of word for master is the one who has absolute control with all respect. It's interesting the word respect, the Greek word is phobos, and we get our term phobia from it. So when you respect something, there's a bit of fear there that you're experiencing. It's interesting that they had 50% of the population of the Roman Empire, they were slaves. 50% Wow. Now, now how would they get so many slaves? Well, they kept conquering countries. They'd go in and they'd conquer a country and then they'd take a bunch of people back as war prisoners and they became slaves. Now, some of these people were more educated than the uh, state owners who owned them. So they would carry on their different businesses like doctors and teachers and secretaries and actors and all the type of you know trades you would have and skills and but they were still slaves. They, they belonged to someone. They had no rights. In fact, Aristotle says, There can be no friendship nor justice toward inanimate things. Indeed, not even toward a horse or an ox or a slave. For master and slave have nothing in common. He said a slave is a living tool just as a tool in an inanimate slave. Wow. Of course, as we look back at slavery here in the United States, we can uh, relate to that. It's so sad. It's just like they didn't have any human rights whatsoever. They're just like another tool in the tool shed. And you didn't like that tool. Master could beat him regularly and even kill him. And nobody would, you know, well, you killed your slave. Oh, not too bad. That's the kind of life these people are living. So You've got to remember that as you study uh, these passages. We go on to uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 20, 21. And here are we see uh, the verse that tells us that the majority of Christ followers were slaves. He says, each, of one, you, each one of you should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. What? I don't want to be hearing that from Paul. Do not be concerned. I'm concerned about my own personal pain, my own status in life. You're telling me just to keep on going. And if I get free, that's great. But if I don't? yeah. That's what God says. Because God isn't as concerned about our status in life. He really isn't. He couldn't care less whether you were a doctor or a um, government official or a president. That means nothing to him. Because that's all a part of the earthly kingdom. And he rules the heavenly kingdom. And he tells you what is important. More important than being slaves were that they would live for God. Now, 1 Peter 2.15 is the key verse about this passage around circle in your Bibles. Uh, this is what unlocks all the things that we're studying here. This is what God really wants from us. This is His top priority. It says, for this is the will of God that by doing good... You should put to silence the ignorance and foolish people. That's our goal. We're to be transformed by the Holy Spirit and to walk with Christ to the point that we put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Friends, the best apologetic you have for Christianity, the best defense of Christianity is your changed life. When people look at you and they say, what's the deal with you anyway? (laughs) You're so different. I mean, that's the greatest question you could ever be asked because you're fulfilling God's will. They have all kinds of arguments, but they can't argue about your behavior on the job or at home or wherever. Uh, Again, we're not talking about perfection here. We're just talking about that slow process of sanctification, of growing to be more like Jesus Christ on a daily basis. And friends, it doesn't take much to stand out. I mean, at work, all you don't, don't, don't swear, obviously. Don't do that. Don't tell sexual jokes or laugh at them. And don't gossip, man. And you're, you're just kind of like uh, goody-two-shoes. <laughs> right? I mean, if you are really reflecting Christ in your life, People will notice because we live in a culture that has so much been stained by Satan. Look at the First Corinthians one twenty six. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. So this is a verse that talks about the fact that the majority of the church were slaves because that was... Uh, Respected in that day, wisdom, power, and nobility. And these people didn't have any of those things. They were poor people. And again, the vast majority of the church were slaves back in that day. And that really is something interesting to think about. Because sometimes we're reading through the uh, letters in the New Testament and we say, wow, that's extreme. Well, you got to remember who he's talking to. Yeah, it might be ex- I mean, it's not really that extreme when you think that they're living the life of a slave and you're living the life of a free person. and It kind of puts things in perspective for us. Now, sometimes we just we really don't have a good perspective on life and what problems really are and what's really important in life. Friends, uh, you know, the interesting thing here again is that God always chooses the weak to do his work. You think about the disciples. I mean, they were just a bunch of common fishermen and some other trades. Uh, But God used them to turn the world upside down. Then you look now at the church. The church, the most important thing that God has ever done in the history of the world. And who does He choose? He chooses the poor. He chooses people who are not even recognized as human. That's who He chooses. I don't know about you, but that encourages my heart. I realize my weaknesses. And, and if you're in a spot in your life where you're down and you're frustrated and everything seems to be going in the wrong way, friends, that is the most powerful time when God can use you. Because you know that you're weak. Not pretending that you have everything you got to live life, but you need to depend upon Jesus Christ alone. That is when God's power flows, like Paul says, "For and when I am weak, then I am strong, because God's power kicks in at the cure." The thing about being kingdom-minded and studying these things. They're so counterintuitive, right? They're counterintuitive to our world, certainly, because our world is designed in such a way to go against God. And it's so counterintuitive to the way we think uh, and our own flesh. But that's the nature of Christianity. Christianity is lived out in this world, which is not God's world. And that's why we stick out. That's why life can sometimes uh, be difficult. And as I look at the United States, and I just hear about everything that's going on, when you think of all the different sins that our culture says, oh, that's okay, that's okay, (laughs) that's okay. And they're all sins. They're all sins. And again, as as our kids grow older, and our grandchildren, they're going to be living in a much different culture than we grew up in. I think about the culture that I grew up in, uh, which was very simple back in uh, the 60s and 70s. And, and I look at my boys and what they're exposed to, especially, you know, Internet pornography. I was listening to a uh, talk uh, by Josh McDowell on Moody's Founders Week, and Phillips Philip sent it to me, and he was saying the main challenge that, the church faces today is internet pornography. Because, of course, men, you know, they're turned on by the visual. And one click away, you get all you want. You can watch, watch people uh, having sex live. I mean, it's just, it's disgusting. It really is. But, but our kids are growing up with this kind of thing. And they're exposed to this kind of thing. And friends, as years go by, it's going to be tougher and tougher to be a Christ follower. I think persecution will come here to the United States in some manner at some date. So, for you as parents, and also for you as grandparents, your number one priority is to be kingdom-minded. To think like a citizen of heaven. And then your second priority is to... Teach your children and your grandchildren what God is all about. And to train them to lay a firm foundation of a kingdom-oriented mindset, leading them to Jesus Christ, letting them understand how weird the Bible is, (laughs) according to the world. But that it's the best way to live. It's the only way to live. That has to be the number one priority With our kids, it's more important than academic. It's more important than other extracurricular activities. And the question I have for you you parents is, is that true in your family? Is God the number one priority? If you ask your children, what's the number one priority in our family? Would they say, oh, it's God, you know? And we talk a lot about God and we go to church and all that kind of stuff. Or would they say something else? And if they say something else, you have an issue. You really have an issue. Because, friends, we want to help our kids have a good time. Lori, who's a piano teacher, my wife, uh, we always just kind of shake our heads. (laughs) You got this little five-year-old, you know. (laughs) And they try to change the lesson some. And that kid has something going on every night, some type of program. (laughs) It's like, what is happening to us? What are we doing to our kids? This child worship? What is it? Well, it's not right, I'll tell you that. Your children need to continue to be discipled by yourself at home as you maybe have family devotions at dinner time or another time, uh, as you go about the day and take advantage of teachable moments, as you uh, discipline them. I mean, you, you again can teach them a kingdom mindset. And friends, I've been pastor long enough to see so many kids grow up who are casually engaged at Springbrook. They just kind of came when they went and that kind of thing. And I'll tell you what, compared to the kids who regularly came to Springbrook, well, there's many that have gone astray. Now, there's also people, kids that came to Springbrook and they've also gone astray. But I tell you what, there's a much greater chance of your children walking with God in their 20s and 30s, if you make God the number one priority in your family now. Now, we're all busy doing different things. I'm, I'm calling it straight here. You know, especially in your homes, you're, you're, you're the ones to train your children. Now, we're a disciple-making community, and we're helping, but that's your main responsibility. So as you think about your child's life, You get to think about their relationship with God and how they're being trained as a Christ follower. Then comes academics. Then comes different sports. That's what God says. He is the number one priority that you need to teach your children. You have to ask yourself, okay, am I leading my children in that way? You know, especially if you have young kids, it's so important. Uh, just to say, hey, we're going to church every Sunday. And we do this, just like we show up for some type of like a soccer practice or something of that nature. You never miss a soccer practice. Well, you should never miss a time alone with God because you see your kids pick up on your modeling. They see what you're doing. They see what's important in your life. You need to make God, number one, and then you need to encourage your children. To make God number one. It's best to start early. It's hard to work with a teenager. You have to go to church. <laughs> uh, start right now if you haven't. I mean, church is the most. And church should be the most important thing. Or God should be the most important thing in your life. And God has asked us to worship together as a church. To learn together as a church. Uh, to grow together as a church. So what you have to do is you just need to make it a priority. I Me mean, to get out of some sports or out of some other things and not put so em- so much emphasis on academics, <gasps> academics, what are you talking about <laughs> that 's what i 'm talking about it 's better for your kids to get c 's throughout high school and be grounded in the faith than to get a 's and not be grounded. please listen friends i've just seen it over and over again. Her parents had a casual attitude about their kids' involvement in church. You know, come a Sunday, not a Sunday. You know, you can go to the youth group if you want. Or Hey, you know, Lori and I, our kids, they went to everything because we were there. <laughs> you know, WANA and youth meetings, and uh, they were engaged in the church. And sometimes they would say to me, well, I want to go to a different group, youth group. And I said, well, uh, find one. You don't have to go to Springbrook's youth group. You know how kids go through phases. Just you have to find a youth group in the area that they will go to. All right. So you just have to take leadership saying this is something we do as a family. And uh, you have to pray. And I'd love to talk with you or to one of our other leaders about how you can implement that in your home. I was just talking with a man who became a Christian a year and a half ago. And he has a college son. And he's, uh, we were just talking about how he can influence his life, how he can uh, make a difference. And I said, you know what you need to do is every time you go up to see him, he's at school, pray with him. Pray for him. Don't make him pray, but pray for him. And those powerful touches, it's never too late for anybody, right? No matter where your adult children might be, it's never too late. And the most powerful thing you can do is live a godly life. I say these things out of love, guys. Uh, I've just seen too many kids grow up in a home where it's a casual type of Christianity and off edge they go. We don't want that to happen, especially as it becomes more and more difficult to live in this culture as they're going to experience. Well, 1 Peter 2.18 Servants be subject to your masters with all respect. Servants... Uh, speaks of house slaves, most common type of slave, subject, you know, to rank under, uh, to your masters, a very strong word there, somebody who has all control over you, with all respect, with all respect. And it's interesting, the word respect uh, comes from the word phobos in the Greek, and we get our words phobia from that. So there's some fear involved in respecting your boss, Ephesians six five says it another way. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. I mean, you work whether he's looking or not. You need to be genuine in your work and do your best work as you would to Christ. When I think of fear and trembling, when I think about God and having fear of Him, I always think about going into uh, uh, the courtroom for my traffic issues. Uh, now, God is sanctifying me. I, I'm several years since I've been there. But... <laughs> But I tell you, it's so weird, you know, when you say, anybody have that weird experience, you know, you're standing in front of the judge, you're kind of feeling naked out there, and, it's only a traffic ticket, but he said, this guy has control over my life, man, I mean, how much am I gonna to have to pay? Am I gonna to have to go to the eight hour class this time? And he was kind of, oh, <laughs> I feel out of control, you know. And, uh, that's what it's talking about, that we have that time of re- type of respect for God, And also for our bosses and supervisors. Just to do the opposite of what everybody else is doing is to serve them better, uh, do more things for them. And again, as you do that, they're going to see the difference in you. Colossians 3.23 Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home mom or... In the workplace, or a student, or whatever, you're none of those things, really. You're a kingdom citizen that happens to be filling, uh, that, filling that particular role. You've got one mission on this earth, and that is to make disciples. And one of the most effective things you can do is live a godly life. And I know, I know that's challenging. It's hard work. It's all to the spirit. And we continue to to become more like Him day by day. But, I mean, just start where you're at. And have have the Holy Spirit speak to you about sins in your life and things you need to take care of and repent and stop doing. Things you need to start doing. And as you do that, people are going to see the difference. Because we're working for Christ. We're on a mission for Christ. We don't belong in this world. I always think of kind of like a, a movie where somebody's going into a foreign country on some type of spy mission. That, that really is what we are. You know? <laughs> We're exiles, right? Like Israelites in Babylon. They didn't belong there. And we don't belong here. And every day we, we wake up and we don't focus on our problems and things like that. We focus on our identity in Jesus Christ, our kingdom's citizenship, and what we're going to do that day to become more like Christ, the power of the Spirit, in order that we might be uh, glowing torches uh, for Jesus. If you look over on First uh, Peter 2.19-20, it says, For this is a gracious thing, mindful of God, now it's important, uh, when you suffer and you suffer for God, that's what they're talking about here. They're not talking about other types of suffering. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows because of their faith in God while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure? I mean, If you deserve the punishment, that makes sense, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Very interesting. You know what God is most pleased with? What's a thing that you can go through that means so much to Him? It's suffering for being a Christ follower. Think of ISIS over there, murdering children because they won't renounce Jesus Christ. I tell you what: the person who suffers the most for Christ will have the greatest position in heaven. Remember when the mother of James and John came to Jesus and said, "Hey, can my boys have you know right hand and left hand?" <laughs> and He said, "Are they willing to suffer?" Like I'm going to suffer, so I, I don't say you should create an environment where you're going to suffer like that. <laughs> don't fly over to you know some terrorist area. But we got to remember that that's what God loves so much when you identify as a Christ follower and you suffer because of it. Now, let's, let's think about your life. Let's think about uh, you know the last year. How much have you suffered because you were a Christ follower? How much have you suffered at work where you've made it clear to everybody you are a Christ follower? You don't push it on people, but, uh, you know, they've ostracized you. No, you don't want to talk with them, they want to talk with you because they're gossiping and telling dirty jokes and that kind of thing. And you're just weird. Yeah, you are weird. There's no doubt about it. I'm weird. Who likes weird people? We like to conform. We like to be like everybody else. We want to fit in. We want to feel like we're a part of this world. No, 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 no. We want to get weirder and weirder and weirder. So people will take notice. And they'll say, what's wrong with you? Why do you live that way? How can you live that way? I tell you, that is the greatest question you can ever be asked as a Christ follower. If somebody notices that you live in a different way, you talk in a different way, you handle situations in a different way, on the job or wherever it might be, that is the greatest honor. God is so pleased when somebody asks you that. Because that signifies and means that you're doing your job. That you're standing out. That you're being a light in the midst of this dark, dark place. And some of you have lost jobs. I know someone here who wouldn't do something unethical on his job and he lost it. Wow. Would you be willing to do that on your job? It's an ethical, unethical issue. I'm not going to lie about that. I'm not going to you know, do something that dishonors God. Now, that's a way you can suffer, that's being kingdom minded. Saying, what am I going to do if I lose this job? But I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. Because God called me to be different. And you put your trust in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.21 For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you. Leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Let's think about that. Of course, the crucifixion was all about the atonement and covering our sins. But it also was an example to us how Jesus Christ suffered. He was a model for us. Because again, He told His disciples and others that uh, as a Christ follower, you're going to suffer. Maybe some of you have suffered in your families. Or some Maybe have disowned you. You're not part of our family. Yeah, I mean when you really stand up and say, I'm a Christ follower, people are going to have a reaction to that. Because Satan doesn't want to hear anything about that and they don't want to hear anything about it if they're not uh, revealed to it by the Holy Spirit. There's a story about a young soldier and he wasn't cut out for soldiering. He was just uh, a weak guy and uh, he had this sergeant who would just mercilessly make fun of him and make life difficult for him because he couldn't do the things that he was supposed to do. One time, he just fell in a training exercise because he couldn't run any farther. And the sergeant took his boot and he kicked that young man as hard as he could. He was in so much pain, he had to be carried back to the barracks. Well, the next day, at Reveille, the sergeant got up, and he looked under his beds, and his shoes were shined. I mean, not just shined, but they were shined to a glisten. I mean, he could never shine them that well. And he said, who did this? And he said, well, not one individual. And so he went up to this kid and said, why'd you do that for me? And the young man said, well, Jesus Christ has given me A love for you. Eventually, their friends and that sergeant came to know Jesus Christ. Why? Because of his life. The way he responded to someone who mistreated him. Are you being mistreated now by anybody? Maybe some of your family, neighbor, whatever it might be. We'll, well, just meditate on this passage and let it sink in to your soul. You know? If they're mistreating me because of my Christianity. That's a good thing. I kind of like putting up the signs in the yards. <laughs> I heard some stories about angry neighbors. There you go. All <laughs> right? right? I'm a Christ follower and I'll put this in my yard whether you care or not. You know? Hmm. That's the power of the witness of a life. We look in 1 Peter 3, 1 as we close here. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. For some of you, this passage is (laughs) well known because you have an unbelieving husband. And a husband who's turned from God or never came to God and and you're just so frustrated. What are you to do? Well, right here. Now submit to your husband and he'll be won over without a word. And I have to turn up the Christian television a little louder or Christian music, you know, buy him books, slam him around, that kind of thing. <laughs> it's not bad necessarily, but the point being here is that through your holy behavior, you can influence him to come to Jesus. Now, Sometimes it doesn't happen. That's not because you're not holy enough. But, of course, if you want to reach your husband, if you want to reach uh, somebody who's mistreating you in some way, uh, you... Honor them and respect them and show them the love of Christ. In first Peter three, three through four. Do not let your adorning be external. Here he's talking to women, but it also could be about men. The braiding of your hair, the putting on of gold, jewelry, or the clothing you wear. I just want to say all of you women look stunning today. Just wonderful. And we appreciate all the time you put into looking stunning. <laughs> But there's a higher priority than that. But let your adorning be to the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of the gentle and quiet spirit, which is God's sight is very precious. That's talking about soul keeping. That's talking about working the garden in your soul and pulling out the sinful weeds of anger and bitterness and envy and becoming more like Jesus Christ. And for both men and women, the question is, how much time are you investing? It was so exciting yesterday to see 90 guys here cultivating their inner life, hearing the Word of God preached, particularly to their life situations. Wow, what a gift we received. So, you always have to be asking. Again, we get sucked into the world. It's all about the externals. Have the right type of house, right type of car, right type of vacation, right type of status. That is not your responsibility. That's not what you're to be concerned about because you're a citizen of the kingdom. And citizens of the kingdom think counterintuitive to this world. And they're more concerned about their heart. They're more concerned about Purity. They we're concerned about becoming like Jesus Christ. Think about this past week or past month. How much time did you spend, you know, alone with God or a small group or spend time with other Christ followers or church? How much time did you devote to cultivating that inner heart? Because that's where the action is. That's where the sin is. All the difficulties you're having is it's right here. It's part of the heart. You gotta ask the Holy Spirit to clean this place up. Holy Spirit, tell me what's going on here where I'm not obeying you so that I can be more like you and I can shine like you. It, it, you. ever met an attractive woman? But at this point, when you start talking to her, you can tell she's all kind of caught up in herself. No, of course not. <laughs> I'm not saying that about all attractive women. I'm just saying, you know, they're beautiful and they know it. So, But then you talk to somebody who might not be as attractive, but you get a whole different vibe. They have that gentle and quiet spirit. They're walking with Jesus. Now that's what God's goal is, that we would do that. Well, we could have our elders come forward. We're going to have elder prayer. But let us pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank You uh, for this family. Love them so much. Lord, I just ask that each of us would run to this passage today and say, okay, God, what are You trying to say to me? What are You trying to say to me? How can I be more kingdom-minded? How can I have how can I motivate myself? What can I do every day that reminds me that I am a light for you? If, I, if people at work don't know that I'm a Christ follower, well, they should. And all you have to do is talk about church or talk about God has answered your prayers and it gives them a clue where you're coming from. But I just pray that we would wake up each day and remember, this is not about us. It's not about our needs. It's about us being your trophies of grace. You want to keep that trophy shined up and buffed, in order that people might see it and say, "What's the deal with you?" And then you rejoice <laughs> because they saw the difference. Lord, we also pray for our kids. Oh, we look at our culture, and it's spinning fast down downward. It's really disconcerting. I think of my children and hopefully future grandchildren and how they're going to be impacted by it. So, Lord, even though my boys are all adults now, I pray that I would continue to teach them about you, continue to share stories, continue to uh, study the Bible with them, that they might be kingdom citizens. Because you're going to approach life in a much different way. In the way that you desire. And I pray for some families here who may be, well, you're not the number one priority in their family. Something else is. Something else gets all the attention and the energy. I pray you give them wisdom on what they need to change, what they need to quit. How they need to make Sunday morning worship a priority because their kids are watching them. And kids typically, typically don't grow above their parents' spiritual maturity. Oh, Lord, these are challenging things, but they talked about the hand and the glove. As you work through us, you can do things we can never imagine. In Christ's name, amen. All right, guys. It's good to see you all after last week with that pleasure we had. Uh, But uh, great to be together again. Have a great week.